0: Clap your hands in the room. Drop some fire in the chat. Hey, man, shout out to all of the, uh, shout out to all. My favorite AKA in the world is my wife. So shout out, wait a minute, y'all deep in here. Shout out to all of you uh, uh, on the day, man, uh, and uh, your Founders Day. Uh, Excited about this, about this word I've got to share. Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse number 22. Uh, 1130, how y'all feeling, y'all? Okay, I kind of y'all kind of in today so y'all 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 feel like talking back to to the pastor today Okay, Matthew chapter number 14 beginning at verse number 22 Hey, let me say this real quick. Also. I'm wearing this pin today And there are probably about four or five guys in the room who are wearing a pin like this This is a pin. that has got our men's ministry emblem on it made men and uh, it's based on this whole idea of males are born men are made and when we say men we are referring to man as God intended him to be not as people want him to be not as culture are y'all following me trains him to be Uh, I believe that none of the root problems that exist in our communities can be addressed at the root without the proper discipleship of men and so every man that's a member of our church is a part of our made men's ministry, but that doesn't mean they're a made man. When you see a man with this pen, it means that man has submitted himself to a 12 session discipleship process in community with other brothers where they learn 12 key competencies for biblical manhood. They learn their sessions where we talk to men about how to manage their impulses and desires responsibly. So we deal with purity. We deal with finances. The men that come through this training, if they got on a pin, they have what's called a broke number. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me here. You're like, I'm waiting on you to tell me what that is. What does it mean? It means that they've developed a f- they, develop the fin- they understand the importance of developing skills and mastery that increase your income. And then managing it in such a way where there's a number you set where you see that number is broke. Therefore, when your finances get to that number you behave like you broke. That way you at least remove the stress of ever being real broke because you got a fake broke that you treat like a real broke. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. So we don't want, we, 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 don't, we, we, we don't believe money fixes all of your problems, but we want to let money fix the problems money can fix. And so we teach not just giving, but we teach uh, financial responsibility. Especially if you lead a family, because if you lead a family, your wife and children are either, watch this, they are either blessed or cursed by your financial decisions. Is this this all right? Is it too early for us to be? Yeah, did you hear what I just said? They're either blessed or burdened. They will either benefit from or suffer from decisions you make with money. And so we, um, we earn these. These are not given. Yeah. These are earned. And uh, we're going to be rolling this out again soon. We had over 500 men start. 327, the last time we did this, finished. Yeah. Come on, church. 327, finished. 12 sessions, you only get one mulligan. That means you can only miss one. And 327 men made that commitment. They're better for their families, better for the community, better for the church. Amen? Amen, amen. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter number uh, 14, verse number 22. um, It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, wait a minute, walking on the lake. Okay, I'm a re- I, think, I think we missed it. Let me read this again. I was reading too fast. Verse 23 says, after he dismissed them, He went up on a mountainside by himself to what? Come on, this 1130. Come on, this this don't even sound. This sound like the the 730. We don't even have a 730. I said, he went up to the mountainside by himself to what? Okay, so later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And then shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on a lake. I want to talk from this subject family. I didn't know this could do that. Clap your hands if you're ready for God's word, everybody. I didn't know this could do that. On the day, I want to continue our series of sermons that we've entitled Cheat Code. And for the purpose of today's preaching presentation, I want to give you a working definition of what I mean when I say cheat code. Um, a cheat code, ladies and gentlemen, can be defined as this. It's a practice that you engage in, in private. This is not gonna be on the screens. I just got this on my way to church today. Here it is. Uh, it is. <laughs> it is It is a practice you engage in privately that improves your results publicly. Come on. It is. A practice you engage in privately that improves your results publicly is something you do that people can't see. That creates the outcomes they can see. It's, it's, it's something you do, listen to me, that people don't know about. That produces and creates the things that they do know about. It's a cheat code uh-huh. and the cheat code ladies and gentlemen for the Christian we told you this last week is prayer. prayer and we gave you a working definition of prayer we said prayer is oral mental or written communication with God the Father in the name of Jesus the Son with the assistance of the Holy Spirit I'm directing my prayers to the, to the person Jesus directed his prayers to, the Father. But I am bringing my prayers in the name of my high priest, who is Jesus. Because when I use his name, when I name drop his name, yeah. it is the equivalent of Jesus going to the Father saying, do it for me. Yeah. Did you hear what I just said? But I do it with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And this is not just the Holy Spirit praying through us with an unintelligible tongue, that's, that's. It's not that only. It is also the Holy Spirit prompting us in terms of what we need to pray for in our understanding. It is, it is the Holy Spirit saying, you know not how to pray as you ought. Yeah. There are some things, he said, come on, there are some things you don't know to ask for. Because you don't know they need to be asked for. So I'm gonna put certain things and certain people on your heart, and I'm gonna prompt you to ask me for this. And God never asks you to ask Him for something He don't want to do. I'm gonna say that again, 11:30. I said, God never asks you to ask him for something he doesn't want to do and i want to know am i talking to anybody that is audacious enough to say god you don't have to tell me twice if you tell me to ask, um, as a matter of fact, you have to tell me to stop asking because you told me, ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. You told me I have not because I ask not. So my asking is my business. Your will is your business. So I'm going to ask you for whatever I want and I'm going to let you determine whether or not it's in your will. Because if I don't have it, it will not be because I didn't ask for it. If I don't have it, it will be because it was not your will for me. I'm asking because I not only come here, I not only trust your yeses. Where's my 1130? I'm asking because I'm trusting your no's. Because your no is never rejection. Your no is protection, and your no is redirection. I know we've learned how to praise God for the yeses. I'm looking for a remnant in the 1130 today that will look back over your life and say, let me praise him for the noes. Let me praise him for the stuff that I thought I wanted. And now I look back at it and say, I'm so glad you did not answer that prayer. I'm so glad. (laughs) Thank you for the nose. I cried about it, but thank you for it. I was upset about it, but thank you for it. I doubted some things, but thank you for it. I was agitated, but thank you for it. I didn't understand it then, but oh, I thank you for it. I thought it was a breakdown. Now I see it was a breakthrough. I thought it was a breakup. Now I see it was a come up. Somebody thank him for the nose. It's the cheat code. It's based on the revelation that God, there will not be some intervention without invitation. That God is the ultimate expression of a gentleman. He's He's a shepherd. He will not force himself where he is uninvited. He won't even force salvation on people. He said, I died to give it to you, but I will not force it on you. This is, this is why eternal life, you know, people talk about eternal life and eternal differentiation, meaning there's life after this life, and then people have two different eternal experiences. That's eternal differentiation. God's like, why would I force somebody to be with me eternally when they don't want to be with me temporarily? Oh, my God. You see, I'm just giving them what they want. I gave you the right to choose. So he says, there are some areas I won't come into unless I'm invited behold I stand at the door and knock if any man open I will come in and sup with him and he with me so prayer is an invitation for God's intervention in your situation prayer is an acknowledgement of your own limitations it it, it is when you say God I need you to put your super on my natural I'm gonna do the natural I need your super I need you to put your grace on my grind. I'm a grind, but a grind alone won't open the door. I need favor. I need you to put my name on somebody's heart. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, because most doors that open are opened by somebody else who's got access to the doorknob and you need God to put your name, oh my, let me just pray this over somebody right now. I pray God start putting your name on people's hearts you don't even know. I pray people start having conversations about you in high places about doors that's getting ready to swing open for you. Let me see who got faith in the room because most people can praise after it happened. I'm trying to see who's got enough faith to praise him before it happened. My name's on somebody's heart. My name's on somebody's heart. My name's on somebody's heart. My haters aren't the only ones talking about me. Gatekeepers are talking about me. And get ready to open doors for me. Yeah, God, I need your super on my natural. I need grace on my grind. If all I do is grind, I'm gonna burn out. I'm gonna spin out. I'm gonna wear down. Yeah, that's a lie. Grinding alone don't get you anywhere. do not get you everywhere God wants you to be. Some things actually require God. You not talking to me. <laughs> I said there are certain things that require God. Like situations and scenarios that that it may look like, okay, this is serendipitous or this is coincidental. Like y'all not, y'all don't even understand. I keep telling the, the the reason we have a location in Atlanta, you it's just it's too coincidental to be coincidental. I was doing a Saturday evening service in Orlando. And typically, right after that service, I leave and go right to the airport and fly to New Jersey. Pre-pandemic, I was doing five services a weekend, one in Orlando, four in New Jersey. So I didn't have, I couldn't stand after, stay after and greet. I would have to speak and go to the airport, go to New Jersey, get some sleep, and speak the next day. This one day, I just happened, which is rare, not to be long-winded. My God, to be long-winded today, God. Ah, Chloe. <laughs> And so I finished preaching early. So I had enough time just to kind of hang out and greet the people, which never happens. And this woman walks up to me and says to me, you should put a church in Orlando. Or in Atlanta. I say, uh, Atlanta don't need me. No, let me tell my story. I'm telling my story. Yeah, I'm telling my story. It's like, no, so I was like, Atlanta doesn't need me. Atlanta's got. That imposter syndrome said, Atlanta's got amazing churches, and, and they don't need me. And uh, she was like, well, can I talk to you for a minute? And I looked at her, I said, okay, now she's straight, you know. Because <laughs> some people, they get you, they're they get you. <laughs> going to talk to you about 30 minutes, right? They're about to tell a whole testimony. So I was like, I do have to get to the airport. And so I said, okay, hey, let me just finish greeting people, and I'll get back to you. Long story short, guys, uh, I, she starts telling me her story. And um, I'm listening to the story, and something starts pricking my heart. Uh-huh. And uh, I got in the car, and we on the way to the airport. Doug's driving me, it could, I, couldn't, I couldn't shake it. Doug's driving me to the airport. Jovita's sitting in the back. I said, guys, I just need to make sure this is not God. Wow. Do y'all hear what I said? This wasn't strategic. It wasn't mapped out. We knew analytics, but we still didn't feel like we needed to be here. And literally, I said, let me make sure that's not God. I said, let's pick a Sunday where the Falcons have a bye. And let's do a six o'clock service. Let's call it change night. We tried to find a building that sat about 300 people. We could not find one the only thing we could find was the epicenter. Yep. Now I'm mad. I'm busy, I'm already speaking five times a weekend, and now I'm getting ready to go out here and be embarrassed. I don't even know that many people in Atlanta, and I know these people in Atlanta don't know me, but now I'm stuck, cause I done put this out here, and this the only venue that, y'all not talking to me, this is the only venue That will hold us and what y'all don't know about the lady that came to me is this what happened was this lady was going through some things in her life she went to orlando to get a break she fell asleep with the tv on she woke up one day i was preaching on the tv because we were on we were on tv every morning in orlando she had never heard of me So she just, I didn't know her, so she just randomly picked a Saturday to come to Orlando. I randomly was there. I randomly stayed after. She randomly had the courage to have a conversation. I randomly did a change night. Y'all randomly pulled up, and we randomly here right now. There is no vision board, there's no strategic plan, there is no hustle that can get you there. Sometimes God's just gotta put you in the right place at the right time. And I'm praying that God does some prophetic positioning and puts you in the right place at the right time. Y'all all all right, I got 16 minutes, y'all good? Prayer puts his super on your natural. His grace on your grind. You need grace for the grind. His help on your hustle. Prayer. And as as I was preparing for this presentation, uh, I was having this conversation with my mom last week. And I started reflecting on an experience that I had that I felt like would help properly position uh, this conversation I want to have with you today. She was talking about some stuff with her back, and I was like, yeah, I started experiencing that too. And I, and I remember when, I told this story before, I remember when I was having some trouble with my back years ago, and I went, and I got it checked out, and I saw all sorts of people, and they checked it out. Uh, and uh, when, they, when I came back, and they were kind of giving me the, 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 the prognosis and things of that nature, One of the things this exercise physiologist gave me, she gave me this binder, and this binder had these exercises that she wanted me to do. And uh, she's like, these are gonna help your back. So I'm flipping through it when I'm in the room with her, and I say, hey, I think this might be a mistake. I said, this might be somebody else's. There's something wrong with my back. I say, all these exercises are for people's abs. I, I, know, I might need a little help there, but that's not, <laughs> I need, like, <laughs> but that's not why I came. I came because my back. And so she, she, was my, she was my kind of person because I like straight shooters. I don't like trying to figure out where you are and what you mean. Tell me what it is, right? i be, be tiptoeing around the tulips. I need to know. So uh, tell me what it is. And she was a straight shooter. She said, Darius, no, no, it's not a mistake. That's yours. And she said, Darius, your back is hurting because your core is weak. And right in that moment, I saw a lesson that applied to life. That sometimes the place you have pain is not the problem. Sometimes there's pain in one area because there's weakness in another area. And if you strengthen the weakness, you can address the pain. Am I making sense? She's like, if you get your core strong, it's going to take some of this pressure off of your back. So you can keep popping pain pills to deal with your back. You can keep laying on the floor to deal with your back, or you can strengthen your core. Listen to me. And what the core is to your body, spirituality is to your life. Sometimes the areas we have pain in is not the problem. Sometimes our emotions are hurting because our core is weak. Oh my God. I, I, am I making sense? Come on. Sometimes our relationships are hurting because our core is weak. Sometimes our focus is waning because our core is weak. Sometimes our habits are getting the best of us because our core is weak. And I want a strong core. And I want you to know that God gives us a strategy to strengthen the core. Yeah. How many want to know what it is? Want to wave at me. You want to know what it is? Wave at me in the chat. Change global. Okay. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. In 1 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 7. All right, now before I say this, this is called First Timothy. So this book, this, is, this book of the Bible is actually a letter that's written to Timothy. It's not by Timothy. It's written to Timothy by Paul. All right. We don't do a lot of talking to each other because we kind of, you know, we don't do a lot of that here. But just tell your neighbor you need a Paul in your life. Tell them that. Everybody need a Paul in your life. What what am I saying? I'm saying we need some well-rounded friends. Paul is a person that has what, what Alan Hirsch calls apostolic gifting. Y'all hear what I'm saying? In Ephesians 4, some people call this five-fold ministry. Some people have made it into offices, and I'm not mad at that, but that's not what Paul was saying here. Paul said, when God ascended, he, watch this, he, he led captivity captive. Captivity got me. God got it. When he ascended, he led captivity captive. Captivity is what's got you and me, but God's got it. That's why Isaiah can say, it is I who formed the blacksmith, who forced the weapon that will be used against you. Therefore, no weapon. Did y'all hear what I just said? No weapon formed against you shall prosper because I made whoever is making the weapon to use against you. So this is is like, so he says, and he gave gifts unto men and he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers, right? And so people who who be called cessationists would say, hey, hey, the first two ceased with the New Testament church. So I don't even know how they reconcile that. So why did two of them cease and then the other three didn't cease? It doesn't make sense to me. Now, there is a distinctive role that the original, y'all not bored, are you? I'm going somewhere. There's a distinctive role that the original apostles played that's called Big A. There's only 12 of those. And so anybody that claims to be a Big A is confused. They may be well-meaning and well-intended. I'm an apostle. Big A, they confuse because there are no big A's there are only the original big A's right but then there are little A's those are people who are not even may may not even be called to preach because it's not an office it's a gift and so there are people who may have the giftings now watch this giftings that are expressed in a number of different ways Am I making sense? Okay, so you I want you to catch this now. I want you to catch this. So Paul said he gave these gifts unto men. So he gave these gifts to men and then gives these gifts to men and women as gifts to the body. And so some people have apostolic gifting, and some people have prophetic gifting, and some people have evangelistic gifting, and some people have pastoral, which is really, Hirsch calls it apes, which is shepherding gifting. And some people have teaching gifting. And every leader, come on now, every leader, every person is gonna have leanings in one direction. So my gifting is apostolic gifting. And that is a person who has the calling, the gifting, the personality type, and the skill set, and the passion to realign the church with the foundation that was established with the big A. The big A laid the foundation. The little A is obsessed with the church returning to that foundation. The little A is obsessed with unlocking the potential on the inside of people. He is a destiny unleasher. He or she is a catalytic gift. Now, I have that gifting, but I sit in the office of a pastor. But pastoral gifting isn't my highest gift. Because it's a gift. You can be a missionary and have a pastoral gift. You can be a nurse. I can tell nurses who have pastoral giftness by how they treat their patients. They go the extra mile. They're intuitive. They, they care. So, so, so we have relegated these gifts to the church. And most groundbreaking entrepreneurs have apostolic gifting, which requires a certain personality and makeup because you can't be that and be caught up on what people think. Did you hear what I just said? I'm <laughs> it is a risk taker. It is an innovator. It is entrepreneurial. It is a person that's gonna look you in your eye and say, when you get in a ditch, I'm not coming in there to hug you. Call the pastor to hug you. I'm coming in with a shovel. When you call me, I'm coming to get you out. Did you hear what I just said? And most people in pits want people that'll hug them, but you need some Pauls in your life who will say, I ain't coming here to hug you because you need more than a hug in this pit. You need somebody that's getting ready to dig you out, and I've been anointed to dig you out. You need a Paul in your life you need some Paul-like friends who will look at you and say, what you doing? All these gifts in you, what you doing? See, y'all not talking to me. Why are you still broke? Why are you still sad? Why are you, so- you need people that will look at you and say, why are you dating her? Why are you dating him? You need some Pauls. Am I making sense? So when you find spiritual leaders and the, and the church is all about reaching the loss, you've got somebody in the office of a pastor with the evangelistic gifting. All they care about is people getting to heaven. They're in the office of a pastor with a five-fold gift of an evangelist. It's the calling, right? Now, we need some Pauls in our life because Paul here is mentoring Timothy. And I love the way he handles him, Tario. He loves, he's he's, he's not without empathy. He's not without emotion. He has the heart of a spiritual father. And he says, now listen. He says this to Timothy. This is a strategy. Y'all all all right? I got six minutes. Y'all good? Here's a strategy for getting strong spiritually, for strengthening your core. He says, but reject profane and old wives fables. I don't even have time to deal with that. He said, them little cute nursery rhymes and stories people telling you. He says, reject that. And he says, exercise yourself toward godliness. That word exercise is a word gymnasio, from which we get the word gymnasium. He's saying, Timothy, the way you're going to become godly is by exercising. There are exercises that get you strong physically, and there are also exercises that get you strong spiritually. Now, can we go deeper here? Last week, y'all gave me permission. You said, Pastor, we can go back to running in February. You said, We're going to learn this month. That's what you told me, right? You gave me permission to walk you through this. So listen to me, family. Listen to me. Listen to me. Coming to the gym is not working out. Let me drink some water. Uh, Coming to church is the equivalent of coming to the gym. No one goes into a physical gym, walks around, sits down for an hour and a half, then leaves and go home and look in the mirror and... Because coming to the gym is not enough. We come to the gym to get the instruction that we need to carry out the exercises outside the gym that are actually going to change our life. I am your spiritual trainer telling you that there are some exercises. Oh, you got one more in you. (laughs) Telling you some exercises that are necessary to grow you spiritually. Now. I'm going to say something. Now, in order, in order for there to be any kind of um, evolution, there has to be objective observations about where we are and how we got here. And you've got to, we've got to stop conflating objective observations with judgment. Just because I'm observing how we got here doesn't mean I'm judging how we got here. I'm just saying if you don't identify and own it, you're gonna continue down the same path. Here's the problem. This is why some of this sounds new to us. Oh my. Cause sometimes people's job security is tied to your gym addiction. That's too much, huh? Maybe next year we'll come back in. And- Am I saying coming to the gym is not important? No, you need to come to church every week. Right, because here here you're getting the instruction that you need to apply outside of here. So I'm not saying you don't need the gym. I'm saying don't confuse the gym with working out. And I'm saying that very often, oh my gosh. Very often, this is not something that, that we've heard. Shoot. This is not something that we've heard because I can only practically help you with exercises I actually know how to use. Did you hear what I just said? And what happens is sometimes we gauge how somebody is exercising off stage by how well they do on stage when the size of a person's gift has nothing to do with the size of their actual spirituality. Am I making sense? Is this too much for a Sunday morning? Y'all all right? You need this word, but it's not the only thing you need. There are exercises that have to be engaged in privately. And I'm telling you, when you engage in those exercises privately, you get more out of corporate worship publicly. This this corporate experience becomes better. Do you need the gym? Yes, because some people that's looking for an excuse not to come to church will take what I said out of context and say, it ain't about the gym, it's about the workout. No, that's Leviathan, a twisting spirit that takes, it's it's the spirit of the serpent in the garden who took God's word and twisted it to try to get people to feel okay about doing something that was self-sabotaging. I'm out of time. Here it is. Listen to me. Listen to me, y'all. There are exercises, and one of these exercises is prayer. But watch this. When the lady gave me the exercises, she, she, she didn't just give me the exercises. The exercises had how many of them I should do. It had how frequent I should do them because I couldn't do the exercises inconsistently and expect consistent results. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? She gave me some structure to my workout and I took the structure and I got some results and all of a sudden, as my core got stronger, the pain in my back got weaker. Some stuff automatically gets better when we get better spiritually. All right. So here's an example of this, y'all tired? Here's an example of this in practice. An example of this is in our foundational text with Jesus. And I'll wrap up here. The Bible is clear. He's just finished performing the miracle with the two fish and the five loaves of bread. And the profundity of this miracle is not in the miracle itself, it's in the message that the miracle sends. What's powerful about miracles are not miracles, it's messages. When God does a miracle, God does something. But God does more than does something when he does a miracle, he says something. When he performs a miracle, he did it. the message he sends is i can do it (laughs) it's one thing to know he did it's another thing to know he can hiya did you hear what i just said it's one thing to know he did it's another thing to know that he can he performs this miracle with the two fish and the five loaves of bread and the bible says immediately he makes his disciples get in the boat and say y'all go over to the other side he said in order for me to help you later i gotta put some distance between us now I, I can't take care of you if I don't take care of me. I got a responsibility to give you the best version of me. And in order to do that, I got to make some decisions you don't understand. You're probably wondering do I want to be around you? Because I ain't getting in the boat with you. Y'all not ready. Y'all not ready. Y'all not ready. Yeah. You wonder, why are you not, they probably in the boat talk, talking amongst each other, not realizing. He's saying, no, 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 no. In order for me to be the best me that I can be for you, that means sometimes I got to put some distance between me and you. Sometimes I need some time with me and him so I can be okay when it's me and you, right? R- R- Relational intelligence here, so important. So it says he goes to a mountainside by himself, by himself, by himself, because spiritual exercises require being okay in solitude. because. It requires the ability to be able to sit with you. <laughs> right? Because you can work out with somebody, but nobody can do your exercises for you. Yeah. 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 Jesus went up to, him to himself to pray. Now, the Bible says the disciples are in a boat. I don't know if they rowed or sailed or what. I know it wasn't a motorboat because motorboats weren't invented then, but they somehow... They rowing, he praying. They sailing, he praying. They sweating, he praying. They letting up a sail, letting down a sail, he praying. They have hours of a head start with him. For hours they working, for hours he praying. Then in the middle of the night, even though it had a head start of hours, here he comes. text says, walking on the water, not sweating, not stressing, not, not straining. Here he comes walking on the water. Now they had the equivalent of hours of a head start. How he catch up with them that easy? Cause prayer makes you a version of yourself that can make up for lost time. And everybody that feels like you right on schedule, be quiet. But for those of us who made some mistakes and you may feel like other people are ahead of you. This next version of you is getting ready to make up for lost time. You are getting ready to catch up just because they are ahead of you doesn't mean they're going to arrive sooner than you. There's a version of you that prayer produces. That allows you to get further faster. Oh my God He's not walking on the ground. He's walking on the water. He's walking on what other people drown in. Some people are confused as to why you're not drowning in despair, drowning in worry, drowning in anger, drowning in doubt. They don't know that prayer has given you the ability to walk on I feel like having a little church today tell somebody walk on it walk on it you stay on top of what it used to be on top he, watch this y'all watch this I'm almost done I promise he uh he <laughs> he he walks and then the disciples see him now at this point there's a storm and waves are buffeting against the boat And they say, it's a ghost. How can you be mentored by me for three years and not know what I look like? Maybe it's because God, Billy, don't always look like God in a storm. That sometimes up on first glance, it looked like one thing. And then when it get closer, you're like, oh, that was God. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, when it first happened, you're like, this is whatever it is. But then as you get, oh, no, this was God. Has anybody ever mislabeled some things? And now you look back at that, you say, oh, that was that was God. It just didn't look like you. Because I was in a storm. So Peter says, Jesus said, it's me. Peter said, if it's you, tell me to come with you on the water. Uh This man had been on water his whole life. He's a fisherman. But he never asked to walk on water. He only asked because he got exposed. It's the principle of exposure. Exposure awakens in you an appetite for something. You didn't know was possible until you saw it. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once I see that walking on water is possible, you better believe I'm going to learn how to walk on water. Watch this. He says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. Bible says Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. Jesus said, come. That's all he said, come. And some people aren't experiencing God's best because they won't go on a come. comes has got to be enough for you. He didn't say come and I'm gonna suspend gravity. He didn't say come and I'm gonna make the water like a road. All he said is come, and you gotta be able to go without having the detail you want. You gotta be able to go without having the specifics you want. You gotta be able to go without having all of the answers. You gotta be able to go wondering about some things that are not clear to you. This. All right. (laughs) Bible says Peter's walking on the water boat, and it says he sees the wind. At first he has his eyes on Jesus. It says he sees the wind, and he begins to sink. But you can't see wind. Nobody's ever seen wind. You can only see the impact of wind. He saw the impact of wind. It didn't say he felt it. It said he saw it. So what threw him off wasn't what he felt. It's what he saw. It's what he saw happening to the elements that was not happening to him. So he only became, did y'all hear that? So when he was focused on Jesus, the wind wasn't affecting him. But when he looked at everything that the wind was affecting, now he let the wind affect him. But Jesus is walking on the same lake. Peter sees Jesus, as longs as his eyes on Jesus, he's straight. He takes his eyes off Jesus, he begins to sink. He never lost vision. This is a word for 2023. He lost focus. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, that's focus. Watch what happens, y'all. Jesus picked him up. So not only Jesus got his weight on top of the water, now he got Peter's weight on top of the water. Walks Peter back to the boat, puts him inside the boat. Now, here's the problem, and this is where I'm going. The problem is this. Peter tried to do what Jesus did in public without doing what Jesus did in private. Jesus is like, I'm able to walk on water because I was doing something you didn't see me doing. So you're trying to do what you see me doing without doing what you didn't see me doing. You didn't see me spending all this time in prayer. And that's how I was able to do what you want to do. I'm done, Tario, which is why the disciples asked him in Luke chapter number 11. They're watching him praying in verse 1. They said, teach us how to pray. These are men who've been praying at least since they were 13. They will probably memorized prayers. They probably prayed scriptures. They probably sang prayers. But they said, Jesus... We've been doing this a certain way our whole life. But I see you doing this in a way that enables you to do stuff I can't do. Your prayer doing something different for you. Teach me how to do that. Gosh, I ain't got time. And Jesus responds by giving them a structure, a pattern for prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. He gives them the pattern. He's telling us. To do what I do regularly, you need structure. Whenever you get responsibility without structure, the result of that will be stress. Whenever you get more responsibility without more structure, the result of that is always going to be stress. Are you guys here? You follow me? He gave them a pattern for prayer, a structure. Our Father who art in heaven, He gave them a protocol. And what I want to do today, because I promise you I would do this if you'll give me three minutes. Can I have three minutes? I want to give you a pattern, a structure for prayer that I use every day that I pray. I read it in a book years ago. The book was called Too Busy Not to Pray. And the writer, Bill Hybels, gives a, an acronym on how to take the principles from the Lord's Prayer and put a structure to your prayer life that you can pray through every day. Yeah. This kind of prayer is not reactive prayer. It's not my last resort. It's my first response. Got me? So can I share with you, in the two minutes I got left, this acronym, we're actually going to make it available to you so that you can take it and own it and use it as your own. This is what your pastor does every day that I pray. I'm not talking about the random prayers where I'm asking God for something or I hear about bad news. I'm talking about prayer as a spiritual exercise. Exercise yourself under godliness, they're called spiritual disciplines. They're a group of spiritual exercises that get you spiritually strong. You don't do the exercises, you don't get strong. Yeah, amen. Prayer is not the only one, but it's the only one we're talking about this month and here's a list of them. Here, here's, here's how I structure this prayer time. So the very first part of this prayer, it's an acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S. The first one is adoration. Yes. It means that when I begin my prayer time, I begin with adoration. What does that mean? In my head, see, I gotta be specific. So I come up with one word that day that, that I admire or adore about God. Yes. And I talk to him about that word. For example, if I was beginning my prayer time right now, let's say my word was faithful. I would say, God, today I worship you because you're faithful. And then I start thinking about how I've seen his faithfulness in my life. Yes. And I'll say, when I was a college student and I couldn't afford to have books and had to take tests, barring people's books, you were faithful. faithful. When the cafeteria was closed and I didn't have money for food you would randomly put me on people's hearts and they would give me handshakes. Yeah, yeah. Oh. That's old school. <laughs> they give me, give me handshakes. You were faithful. When we left everything to pursue ministry, when I had to look my in-laws in the face and say, I'm not going to law school, yes, yes, yes. I'm going to seminary, I don't have a job, I'm taking your daughter from Mississippi to New Jersey. She's giving up her job as a software engineer. Condo on the golf course in, uh, right, right outside of Biloxi, Mississippi. Amazing job, degree, getting to seminary, having my oldest son, Seth, welfare milk. Welfare cheese. Trying to go get food stamps in New Jersey's requirements were so strict we couldn't even qualify. I would have to quit seminary and get a part-time job to get food stamps. So I had to choose seminary over that. But you put food on the table. Faithful. I start my prayer time with that. And I move from adoration to confession. And this is where I need to talk to God about my self-sabotaging behaviors. The Bible calls it sin. Places where confession means to say the same thing. It means, God, I'm going to say the same thing about my behavior that you do, even though I might not always feel the same way you feel about it. You know, sometimes, God, I felt like they need to be told off. I felt like it was good for them. I actually feel better that I've done it, God. I feel like a weight has been lifted off me. <laughs> I feel great, Jesus. You understand that? No, that's, that's confession. I, I don't always feel bad about, no, come on. It's like, no, nah, I felt like they needed all that smoke I gave them. But you say my conversation needs to be seasoned with grace. So I agree with you. Help me to be better. But I not only talk to God about my actions here, I talk to God. I learned this a little later in my studies about emotional intelligence and health. I talk to God about my emotions. Because this is the one place I can say whatever I feel. And I know it's not going anywhere. And I know I won't be judged for it. And what gave me permission to do this was reading some of the stuff David because David was a writer he was a journaler right so he, he wrote a lot of his prayers they were psalms. a lot of the psalms are prayers and listen to me he was a man after God's own heart because his heart was pure it was pure because it was empty whatever he felt he got it out before the father I don't like them I want I want you to <laughs> He said some stuff. He said, I want they children to be fatherless. I want... I'm serious. He said it. His heart was pure because it was empty. But that's, I go from adoration to confession. Father, I'm mad, I'm upset, I'm angry, I feel this, I feel that. Um, and then I move from confession to thanksgiving. What's that, pastor? I, uh, Hybels gets very specific about thanking God for four types of things one. I thank God for answered prayers yes. Stuff I forgot about that he did that i take taken for granted yes. I thank him for spiritual blessings the stuff he give me that you can't see uh. Like to me right now, I'm in a season where I know I'm right in my assignment CJ Like, I can't even describe it, the way that feel to wake up and say, I'm doing what I was born to do. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Like, that's a spiritual blessing. Then there's relational blessings. Thank you, God, for the people you got in my life. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my team. Thank you for this church. And I thank you for material blessings. See, if you've never had an empty pantry, I don't know if you know how to appreciate a full one. So there are certain things that you may just see, hey, like this is just life. And for others, we may say, man, this is a blessing but I thank him for those things. Notice this, there's been adoration, there's been confession, there's been thanksgiving. I ain't asked him for nothing yet. And the last part of the prayer is S, is supplication. And this is where you ask. Supplicate means to ask. You make your requests known unto him. Prayer doesn't notify God of a need, but it expresses your dependency. And guys, I work this prayer. I work this structure. Sometimes I got 30 minutes worth of conversation. Sometimes I got 45 minutes worth of conversation. Sometimes I got 15 minutes worth of conversation. I'm not legalistic with the structure because I don't serve it. It serves me. So I want you to make your pastor a promise that you're gonna start exercising spiritually beginning with utilizing this structure. If you're a journaler, write it. Am I making sense? He hears what you write. If you're a journaler, write it. If you out loud say it, if you're in your head, whatever it is, but say, okay, I'm gonna wake up in the morning and I'm gonna give God this structure some of you say pd i need this right now everything you said i need this because i'm gonna forget this um if you text the word A C T S to the to the number on the screen they're gonna leave that up uh they're gonna leave that up we'll send you a pdf of this right to your phone because literally i hadn't even memorized all i mean i know but there are components of it that because i customized it so like even with I I can't tell you how your supplication part will be, but my supplication is customized, right? So the first people I pray for, the first person I pray for every day that I pray is Shemika Daniels. I pray for her, not our marriage, her personally. Then I pray for our marriage. Keep Keep it healthy, keep us happy, keep it holy. Then I pray over my children. I have a mission statement for my children. I pray that over them, righteous, wise, wealthy. I want my sons to be answers to problems in the earth. I want them to have something. I pray that over them. Then I pray for my parents, my in-laws, my siblings, am I making sense yes, sir. then I pray for me my health my emotional state my wisdom for decisions areas where I feel like I'm struggling in and I need some help then I move from that and I pray for you I pray for the vision of our church as a whole every location and then I pray for the people in it I don't even know everybody's names I can't but I know faces and sometimes your faces come up before me. I say, God, that girl that came and shook my hand, that looked like she was about to cry. Whatever she needs, meet that need. Am I making sense here? Then I pray for my friends. Then I pray for governmental leaders. Jesus. (laughs) Local, I literally look up the names of mayors uh, I just saw the mayor, mayor of Duluth. The name of Duluth is Nancy something. I just looked it up this, this week. Or at least used to be. Unless I'm praying for the wrong person. Isn't the, mayor, isn't the mayor of Duluth a woman? Is anybody from Duluth? Nobody from Duluth come here. They're like, we just come to church, Pastor. We ain't even from here. <laughs> Lord have mercy. One out of a thousand. All right. All right, They say, no, we just come here, Pastor. We don't live here. We just come here. Wherever you at, we at. That's how this (laughs) works. It is Nancy. Thank you. Right. So so you structure yours the way you need to structure yours. The, The point is, this isn't a rule. It's just a guide that has served me well, and it revolutionized my prayer time. I think it's made me a better person spiritually. And it will for you too. This year will be the best year of your life it is the be- if it's the best year of your life spiritually. I love you. I hope you feel my love for you, not in the hugs I give you, but in the preparation that I bring to feeding you i hope each week as i stand here you feel that man loves me because he's laboring over god's word for me i want the best for you and if nobody else is praying for you you got a pastor who is i want to pray a benediction over you family god's final blessing Until we meet again next week May he bless you and keep you May he cause his face of favor To shine upon you May he be gracious and generous to you May he protect you May he provide for you And above all else may he give you peace This is my prayer for your life in Jesus' name. Woo. Amen. I feel the presence of God. Somebody give him praise.